David, querida, come, come. And they're spooning all this food onto your plate. And they're just like looking around and sort of like looking at the other women going, see, he's eating my food. He's not eating yours. Hey, David. Good morning, Amy. So how was your food week? It was good. It was, uh, I have to say that it wasn't as adventurous as some of the other ones or as busy as some of the other ones because I didn't have a lot of guests or I wasn't cooking for a lot of people and neither was the one. But I did make for his sister who came, I made a blueberry lemon layer cake, triple layer, mind you, not two, but three. And it had a lemon cream cheese frosting. Oh, I love cream cheese frosting. I got the blueberries from a local farm, and I have to tell you, it was so extraordinary. Uh, I, I don't know what I did, but it's the the texture of, of the crumb. It melts in your mouth, and mm. the incredible lemon flavor that bursts through on the cream yes. cheese frosting is amazing. So I was very clever in how I served the pieces. I always made sure that I got the biggest swaths of frosting. Nice. You know, and little did the one know that every few hours I was cutting little slivers of that cake. Just uh-huh. little slivers. And he didn't realize <laughs> until it was too late that most of it was gone. And I had eaten most of that cake over the course of the weekend. But it was absolutely delicious. Uh, oh, so that sounds amazing. So what about your weekend? Oh, my God. I, I made one of the best things I've made in a really long time. What? And it came out of having an abundance of tomatoes and not quite knowing what to do with them. And I got in mind that I wanted to do a pasta that was sort of inspired by Italian sausage and peppers. Mm -hmm. So I was home. It was a Saturday. I had all day. So I took the tomatoes and I roasted them at like 300 degrees Mm. for four hours with olive oil, garlic, Mm -hmm. peppers, Mm. and thyme. Lots of good olive oil, salt, and pepper. Right. And they cooked down until they were, you know, really concentrated, really yeah. caramelized. And then I broiled them so that the skins would come off yeah. easily. Okay. Took that and pureed like two-thirds of that. Mm-hmm. Because it had all the olive oil, it became very creamy. It was mm. it was really smooth, creamy sauce. It was like almost like an emulsion. Emulsion, Mm. yes, it emulsified, right. I pulled out the thyme and I took the garlic out of its skin. So you had this caramelized garlic, everything mixed up. And then I added some of the chunky bits Mm. to give it some texture. And then I tossed some penne regatte with that and, you know, put it in the pan, put in some pasta water so it Mm. thickened and was really, really good and stuck to the pasta. And then I fried up, and this is where people are going to think I am totally departing from the canon. I fried up some vegan sausages. I'm not vegan, but I bought these Beyond Sausage, you know, the kind of meat. They're Italian sausage flavored. Honestly, I think they are delicious. And I've been just playing around with like a little bit less, you know, red meat meat in my diet, just kind of being a little healthier. They tasted so good in this dish. Nothing was missing. Like it was, and I felt so good because I was feeding my parents and I wanted to give them heart healthy food. It was amazing. And lots of fresh basil and freshly grated Parmesan cheese. And it was so good. I mean, that sounds amazing. I don't know whether your Italian ancestors are applauding you or 
rolling over in their grave with the use of vegan <laughs> sausage, but that does sound pretty amazing. But you know, it's interesting, you know, you're of Italian heritage, I'm of Portuguese yeah. heritage, and it's amazing how we both play with the idea of what these heritages offer us as far as food, and sometimes just fall right into the classics and do it. So, you know, I'm really curious because you're Italian, Portuguese, what was it like growing up in an Italian home? And I wonder if there's some sort of overlap, because I, I think what I experience is incredibly unique, just it's unique yes. to my heritage. So let's right. talk about our childhoods and what it was like growing up in these homes. I do think that there are some overlaps with anyone who grew up with first or second generation family mm -hmm. from the Mediterranean. Yes. Like, for example, did you have a grapevine in your backyard? Absolutely. Had three of them, right? <laughs> Grapevines everywhere. My mom and dad bought this plot of land from my grandfather, my mother's father. They bought an extra plot behind because they thought that I was going to basically grow up, get married, and move into that plot behind them. So uh -huh. it didn't happen that way. <laughs> and so my dad said, okay, he's off in New York. He doesn't want to be here. He turned the entire plot of land into a grapevine. There was rows oh, upon rows God. upon rows of grapevine. So my grandfather built a trellis in the backyard mm -hmm. over like a little bluestone patio mm -hmm. and they would sit in the shade of the grapevine yep. and prep, like shell the peas. This I'm talking mm -hmm. about my grandparents' yep. generation. Yep. They'd do the beans and they'd have, they'd bring a TV out with a long extension cord and watch soap operas <laughs> while they did the kitchen tasks in the shade on hot days. All right, well, Such a happy memory. We didn't have the TV with a long extension cord, but we did have the very long picnic table underneath the arbor. We didn't have a flagstone yep. patio, but it was grass. And my grandmother would go out there and she would shell fava beans. Oh, and what yeah. I remember is my grandmother was a very short, stout woman. And she had uh -huh. this enamel tub that she would have between uh, her legs. And yes. she had the old-fashioned nylons and she'd roll them down, you know? So yes. you could see them rolled down <laughs> below her knee. And then she would just sit there with this thing between her legs. And a house dress, In a house right? dress. It was a house pink dress. Yes. house dress. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. And then she would take these fava beans and I don't know how she did it, but with a flick of her thumb, she got all of them in there. Oh and she was like rat-a-tat-tat and this whole thing would be filled with fava beans. And that's one of the things that I remember most about my grandmother and the fava beans and sitting there with that big tub between her legs. Mm -hmm. It was just wonderful. So ah. funny. And did you eat and have family meals beneath your arbor? We didn't tend to. I think we did once in a while, but almost always the meals were around that big dining room table. Ah, okay. Yeah. And there were always extra people. Mm. We, you know, there would be someone didn't have family nearby. Yep. Someone was a widower. Like they became family and they were there mm -hmm. every week. When we had the everyone, which means my mom's side, my dad's side, there really were 20-something kids around. So we had Ooh. to have it outside. We couldn't do it inside because wow. our table in our house only sat six people maximum. Right. And so it was always under the arbor. And as the family grew and grew, we then had to have it out in the backyard because the arbor couldn't fit it. And yeah. it's interesting that you talk about there's always other people there, like widowers or widows. We had a steady stream of people coming from Portugal who were immigrating oh, to America. Interesting. So there was yeah. always some new relatives, some new 
cousin of a cousin there. Sometimes it was their first exposure to the big wow. American Portuguese American family. Yeah. There was always that extra person you had to get to know and learn about. Right. And they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Portuguese. But so it was always this rotating cast of characters in our backyard yeah. with all this food. Okay, this is the big question. Mm-hmm. This is really big. Did you have a second kitchen in the basement of your grandparents' house? <laughs> I wouldn't be Portuguese if we didn't. Absolutely. <laughs> Every Portuguese person and every Portuguese mother demands there be a kitchen downstairs in the basement so she never has to dirty the one upstairs because you (laughs) never know when guests are going to pop by. So that one is always spotless. I don't know if my mom ever used the kitchen upstairs in the house for years. It was always downstairs and it was always spotless too. That was the thing. Even downstairs, it was always spotless. But no, you never don't want smells up there. You don't want anything up there. No mess. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so for us, it was more of like an overflow kitchen or uh, ancillary. It was for the big workhorse projects, big batch cooking, mm-hmm. or during the holidays, you needed a second oven for the second roast, for the other roast. Right. And so you would need the two ovens. Just in so, case yeah. five roasts weren't enough for a family of eight. Yeah, exactly. For, yes, exactly. <laughs> but we, we, were, we were using both kitchens. You know, my Aunt Irene, or Tia Irana, still cooks in her basement kitchen and her apartment is two flights up. Oh, wow. And she's still, she's 80 something years old. She comes down in the morning and she starts cooking. And that's where I grew up eating in her basement. It's just fascinating that everyone has these. So if we go back to everyone sitting around the arbor or eating at that big table at your house or in the backyard at my house, did all of your aunts and other people and grandparents bring food their own dishes, their own specialties, and then have this competition, silent competition of who was going to eat more of their food. That's interesting. No, but Mm. my family was a little unusual in that I had aunts who were widows who came to live with my grandparents. Mm, So everyone was actually in the same house. I didn't have as big a family as you did. I got it. But there was my grandparents, my aunt Madeline, my aunt Sue. And for a while, my and they were great aunts. They weren't even necessarily aunts. They were like cousins, but we called them aunts. Mm -hmm. And then my aunt Joan for a while lived with them. So there were all these people there. And then there were all the neighbors, Mm -hmm. but really my family cooked for everyone. So there wasn't the competitiveness. Sometimes like somebody might bring a side dish, but no. It was like, yeah. It, it was a silent competition, but it was deadly. It was my <laughs> Aunt Irene, my Aunt Sally, my Aunt Lou, my Aunt Tina, my mother and my grandmother and my other grandmother. And they would bring their dishes when they came. So it was kind of a potluck because there were so many of us. And you would see the aunt squat down near the kids and they'd be like, David, querida, come, come. And they're spooning all this food onto your plate. And they're just like looking around and sort of like looking at the other women going, see, he's eating my food. He's not eating yours. And there was this competition and it was really wonderful. And they all had their specialties too. That was what's so wonderful. Did your aunts and grandmothers and mom have specialties that no one did because they did them so well? Well, like my Aunt Madeline made the best cakes. She mm. did checkerboard cakes and marble cakes. Oh, the real American cakes. Layer cakes. Yes, yeah, she did. It was mm. interesting. She really mastered the American cake. And that's one thing that I really find interesting in any family that can remember maybe a generation back, mm-hmm. somebody immigrating. In what ways did they really go American? Right. You know, so... Yeah the American cakes or my grandmother putting cream cheese on her pesto because it was like less expensive and gave it that creamy texture. Yeah, I love that stuff. So my Aunt Irene on my father's side is kind of the 
cake baker, I guess you could say. Yeah. And pineapples are huge in the Azores, right? Right. So she mastered the upside down pineapple cake. So they took foods that they knew and then found ways to incorporate that or use American recipes that highlighted that. So for instance, the stuffed quahog. The right. Portuguese stuffies. Yes, which now, is a New England classic. Portuguese New England classic. And that was Portuguese immigrants developing that. And my mother, I have to say, makes the absolute best stuffed quahogs. It takes her mm. 17 years to make them. Also known as stuffies. Stuffies. And she bitches and complains the whole time. But <laughs> oh my God, they are amazing. But it's oh, one of those wow. like weekend projects, you know, but she has yes. to enlist my father and then she used right. to enlist my grandmother and then she did it. She hasn't made them for years. Are there projects like weekend projects that your yeah. family made? Yeah. So we would have a big assembly line once a year and make a ton of, it was either ravioli or agnolotti, mm. which is the pasta regional specialty of Piemonte, mm. which is where my family comes from. They'd roast the meat and they'd have the herbs and the yeah. cheese and we'd make this kind of beef and sometimes we'd put mortadella in there, which is pretty traditional, herbs and some Parmesan. And so you'd have one person oh working gosh. the pasta roller and another person, you know, putting the filling in and another person cutting. And mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. do remember summer days spent doing that. And then it would all go into the downstairs freezer because, of course, there's a second freezer, right, for the of course. The, the, the stuff, like yes. all, the, all the produce and Absolutely. everything. And then all through the year, you would eat that pasta. Mm-hmm. It would be precious. You'd kind of, you know, portion it out over yeah. the course of the year. And then you'd make it again when you ran out. That reminds me of my aunts in Boston because everyone made certain things. So my dad made this thing called pimenta moida, which is kind of like a fermented pepper sauce. Ooh. And he would give it to my aunts in Boston, his sisters, his three sisters, who then used it in the making of the Portuguese sausage. Wow. So they would be downstairs in the kitchen, of course, in the basement with all this pork and they'd be up to their elbows in pork and they're marinating the pork and getting all the casings. And then one would do the stuffing and one would do the twisting, but they'd be using my dad's pimenta moeda. Mm. Then they went into the smokehouse, which my uncle, my uncle Joe built. And wow. my cousin Joe would tend the fires and the smoking and they would smoke it there. Then it would go back to my dad and to all the other family members. And we would then use that in all of our dishes. So it's like, it takes a family to make a sausage. Everyone had their own role in making the sausage. Did your family make Italian sausage? Yeah, my grandfather did. And I remember it hanging in the root cellar in their house in the basement. Mm. So they did dry curing. Yeah, they did dry curing. Ah. They didn't smoke. Mm. He stopped doing it when I was quite young, but it's an it's a very early memory of seeing the sausages hanging. hanging. Yeah. He also had a did you have a fig tree in your family? Yes, there was a fig tree. Yeah. There was a fig tree that was kind of near the Great Barber. Really? Yeah, yep, we had it on the side of the house and he would he would move it down to the root cellar for the winter mm-hmm. just to give it a little extra protection and then he'd carry it back out and replant it in the summer. And what about wine? Did anybody make wine with all those grapes? Yeah, my grandfather made wine, Attilio Traverso. He did make his own wine. He grew the grapes. Yep. He also bought grapes from California because really, I yep. mean, he couldn't grow enough grapes. <laughs> right. And my dad remembers the big boxes of grapes and stomping them and everything. Yeah. Oh, they stomped them. Yeah, they did. Oh, wow. You went old school. Now, my grandfather may have had them do it just for the experience. He may have just wanted them to, to have know. it. I don't think it was like a regular thing, but he did He did do it at least once. Wow, you went old school. No, we, my dad got a machine that he hand cranked. 
Nice. And so my grandfather, all of my uncles, and my aunts came down too, and they brought the food, and then all the yep. family got together to make this wine. My dad made white wine and red wine out of all the grapes yep. on the back. He did buy extra grapes. And yeah. But he actually won two or three awards, local awards for his wow. wine. And it was just simple table wine. And he would yeah. put them in Grolsch bottles. Remember Grolsch no. beer? Yeah. Wow. He was able to have a bottle every day. He would oh, flip it off so it's great. like a big, it's like a pint. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and he would drink it every day. And then he would go downstairs and he'd wash them and they'd be ready for the next time he, right. he made wine. But yeah, every fall, that's what we did. And what about fruit trees? Was there an orchard in the backyard? Oh yeah, there were. And you know, we're talking, I just want to be very clear. This is like Windsor Locks, Connecticut. <laughs> this was an immigrant neighborhood, mostly Italian-American. Yeah, yep. These were not huge plots of land, but they made out of every inch of that yard. Absolutely. So my grandfather had peach trees, a couple of peach trees, mm -hmm. the grapes. Oh, the most wonderful raspberry bushes. Just the most ooh, abundant ooh. crop of raspberries. I remember going out in the garden, picking the sweet peas, my sister and I just eating them. They were so, so mm, good, so yeah. fresh. Strawberries? Any strawberries? No strawberries, not that I remember. Okay. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, definitely strawberries, no raspberries. My dad had apple trees, he had pear trees, peach trees, mm. I think he had a plum tree. And he kept on grafting all kinds of- Oh my so gosh. Like one tree would have three or four different kinds of apples oh. on them. And it was amazing. It, there was always these apples. And I didn't bake or I wasn't cooking then. But yeah. oh, what I would do now to have those apples to bake them I in know. pies or something. Yeah. Gosh, as we're talking, I'm having so many memories. One of the funniest ones is, for some reason, the men were the primary gardeners in this generation. Mm -hmm. This is my grandparents' generation. And there was always an informal competition of whose tomatoes would ripen the fastest. Really? And so all the backyards, these were all houses. Imagine the houses are on the outside of a block, right? Mm -hmm. Like a city block. This is sure. a town. But, and and then their backyards all met. Yes. You know? So everyone was very aware of each other's backyards. So one year, my grandfather went to the supermarket and there was a guy next door na named Zubying who, who was very competitive about the tomato ripening. My grandfather went to the supermarket and bought some ripe tomatoes no. and in the middle of the night, tied them onto his vines. And the ah, next day was ah, like, look, Zubying, I won. <laughs> That's like my aunts with their food. That's that's amazing. But that was underhanded, but that was fabulous. That was really fabulous. Yeah, we uh, we didn't have that because we lived in Swansea, Massachusetts, and everyone else lived up in Cambridge or Somerville right. around Boston. So we were getting together like twice every month. Uh, and with right. my mom's yeah. side, we got together a lot more, but they weren't really into all that kind of stuff. It was more right. my dad's side. But it's interesting that there's so much overlap. Tell me your, some of your favorite dishes. As weird as it might sound to people that we put cream cheese in the pesto, mm. absolutely pesto. And they would make it with basil and parsley, garlic, olive oil, and cream cheese. And it was delicious. And do they put the garlic in raw or do they blanch yeah. it? Oh, they put it in raw. Raw, yeah. It was so good and lots of Parmesan. Mm. I remember there was always mortadella from the local deli. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an Italian market, Pegasus Market, it was called in Windsor Locks, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. They would always have mortadella. My grandmother, certainly the pastas, the homemade pastas. That's amazing. Wonderful sauces that they'd cook for hours. We made this thing called scacciata, which is like mm -hmm. kind of almost like a pizza, but it instead of having a red sauce, it had sort of a greens, spinach, and cheese. That was so good. Was there a sauce on it? 
No, it was kind of like a white pizza, mm. basically, but mm-hmm. with spinach and cheese. And, oh, God, the roast, roast beef, you know, the way, and the turkey. My grandmother would make turkey for Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. she would drape, and this is still a great tip, drape bacon slices over the breast. Yeah, yeah. And so as it cooks, it bastes itself, yeah. and it you get this incredible f- smell. And then when the turkey's done... It's perfumed with the bacon, and the bacon itself is just about the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. Yeah. We'd kind of fight over who would get to eat that bacon. Yeah. Mm. How about you? Oh, God, there's so many. When you were talking about the bacon and Thanksgiving, my grandmother made chasheyu, which means stuffing. And uh-huh. it's not stuffing you put into a turkey. I, I don't even right. know how it got that name, but it's chasheyu. And it would be stale bread that would they would keep out for several days, so really stale. And she would soak it in water. And then she would fry up some shirisu or linguisa and then mm. take all the sausage and put them aside, take the oil, put it in the bread with paprika right. and cooked garlic and cooked onions, which onions and garlic together when they're cooked yeah. is called hufugadu. So she take the hufugadu, okay. she put it in there and the sausage and parsley and uh, lots and lots of paprika and other things. And so it became this ruddy red color. And it was the most extraordinary thing. And that's what was the basis for my mom's, another favorite dish, stuffed quahogs. Oh, yeah, right. But that had, instead of water, it was all of the the broth that opened up, all of the Uh, liquor that spilled when the quahogs opened up. And so those were two amazingly wonderful dishes, very similar. My mom's carnassava which I love. And my mom made this thing. I wrote about it in the Yankee Magazine piece I wrote for you. It was Portuguese baked beans, so it was in a tomato sauce with all the spices and bacon. But as a nod to New England franken beans, she put hot dogs in them. Like hot dogs, which is so not (laughs) Portuguese. But that was something I would just eat and eat and eat and eat. eat. It's just, oh my gosh. So many other things. One favorite comfort food for me was when I was sick, they would take stelline, which are the little tiny star-shaped pasta Mm -hmm. in brodo. So they'd have the homemade chicken stock with Parmesan cheese. It is, I still, it is one of the most delicious. So simple. Must be like good comfort food. Oh my God. Chicken stock, Stelline and then the aditalini and then Parmesan cheese on top. Just simple, amazing. And that reminds me, my grandmother used to make a chicken, rice, and potato soup. Because mm. rice and potatoes, Portuguese love their starches. And <laughs> but somehow she made it pink. My grandmother's favorite oh. color was pink. She wore pink house coats. She had this hat that she'd go to church with that looked like a pink frosted cake. She was Mm -hmm. so proud. She had a little purse, a little black purse, but pink was her her color. And the soup somehow was pink and I've never figured out how she did it. Do you think it's beets? No, no. We thought maybe a little bit of wine in there, but that wasn't it. We thought maybe it was the pink bowls that she had, which had little pink flowers on it. None of us can figure it out, but it was, I remember... There's even a photograph of us in our apartment. And it was my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, my father, my cousin Mark, his sister Cheryl, my uncle Manny, my aunt Mary, and I think a few other people all around this table. And it was just everyone's hunkered down eating the soup. And it was just, oh my God, it was amazing. It's amazing Mm. to think back on some of those meals and how I took it for granted as a kid. Yeah. I just, I didn't realize that this is special. Right, and it's fleeting, it's going away. Yes, yeah. Because do a lot of people in your generation make the dishes that the people in other generations did, like your grandparents? 
I'll make the dishes. I, I make ravioli and pasta. I don't mm. do it as regularly, but we don't have those gatherings. You know, my parents, yeah. thank goodness, are still with us. They live in Connecticut. I'm in the Boston area. My sister's in upstate New York. You know, so we just don't have that. And I'm not giving that to my child. Yeah. So I do mourn that. But I think, you know, I'm creating plenty of good food memories. Yeah, for you. Uh, but not, not the same. Yeah, it's different. Although we did have a cousin's get-together. This was quite a while, long before COVID. And that was a blast. But there was yeah. this whole generation of kids I had never met. Like my cousin's kids, who right. now are like 18 and 19. And I'm like, I, I barely know them. And so it's interesting how you kind of get distant because you live in different places. And then yeah. these, these generations, things. things don't pass on in the same way. There's not that yeah. matriarch holding right. everybody together, this centrifugal right. force holding everybody yes. Yes. tightly, tightly together. And so it's sad, but at least I feel I am making the one, a lot of Portuguese food. So he's yes. very happy yes. about that. That makes him very happy. So I question... <laughs> When everyone got together, was it very loud? That's a, such a good question. No, it wasn't. And no. I think this is unusual. I mean, if you get 20 people around a dining room table, it would certainly, the volume would go up. But I think there's the stereotype of the sort of Italians mm -hmm. like, da, 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 da. Right, you know. right, right. It was, my family was quieter than that. It was a quieter warmth. I don't know if it's like something about... Piemonte and maybe being closer to France and some sort of different temperament. <laughs> and the, the France don't like noise. Is that it? We <laughs> can't speak too loud because the French will get upset. It wasn't that it was quiet or like hushed, mm. but it was just normal conversation. It wasn't quite as boisterous as wow. the stereotype. So instead would of say. waspy, you were wispy, like a white <laughs> Italian. <laughs> Our, we were loud, loud, loud. As a matter of fact, when friends would come and eat with us and visit, and they weren't Portuguese, they would think, why is everyone so angry? Right. And my mother would oh, say, that's or like, so why are you funny. raising your voice? I'm not raising my voice. This is how I talk. <laughs> and that's, that really is something out of my childhood. And it's just, it, it still makes me laugh because my mom still is very loud. When we talk, she's still very loud. And everyone, you talk to my aunt, so they all talk very loud. And it's, That's uh, so great. Yeah. It, and the neighbors yeah. would also wonder, like, what's going on? Are they like a wrestling match or something? It's like, <laughs> no, we're having lunch. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, David, you and I are talking specifically about our own childhoods. Mm -hmm. But the reason we wanted to have this conversation is, A, we, we realize we have a lot in common. Yeah. B... We want to know what your family food memories yeah. are and what are the traditions that you're bringing forward or that you miss because every family has them. Yeah, and so if you're listening to this and you want to join in the conversation, please, you'll see instructions on any of the podcast platforms of how to call in and leave a message. So please do it. And if you do, we might be able to be on the show. We can chat with you about your history and your heritage. And you can also reach out to us on social media. I'm at Amy Traverso. And I'm at David Leet. Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Over at Studios, and our producer is the French-Canadian-Irish-American Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Over at Studios at overatstudios.com. Remember to follow Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As always, if you like what you hear and want to support us, leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. 
you got to say goodbye now. Oh, I thought you usually say ciao first. <laughs> no, you have to say oh, goodbye. Okay, I'll You're say doing it. the closing, okay. so now oh, you have okay, to say okay, goodbye. Thanks. Okay. Bye, David. Ciao. Adam liked that because he's going, that's the blooper. That's the blooper. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>